0: Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast, your weekly podcast about the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit strategy battle game by Games Workshop. I'm Jeremy and with me is David. Greetings. And we're going to do some general discussion about our preparation as we move towards the Silmarilli tournament for this year and also answer some questions from our community. Some of them are great questions, some of them are decidedly average. We take what we can get. Absolutely we do. Now, David, what have you been doing, say, at the last week, since our last recording? Uh, since the last recording, I've been
1: trying to finish my Silmarilli army, which, as I believe most of our listeners know, I paint incredibly slowly. So it's been an uphill struggle. But at the moment, I have the last ten hobbits sitting on the painting table. I've got two heroes to go after that, so I'm in with a chance.
0: Excellent. I've been doing a lot of things actually. I've been I've got the house to myself at the moment, which is very lucky. So, I've in had some people over for games. I've gone out to the club for games. I've been doing a lot of assembly. I haven't really been feeling the painting that much, which is unusual for me. I hadn't I haven't still completed the model for about a month. So, uh, the painting's not really going for me. So I've been doing a lot of assembly. i put together Smaug. I've put together a Gorgoroth beast. Some of the stuff that's done a lot of sculpting, I've actually used up all my green stuff. So I'm waiting for another shipment of green stuff to come in. So that's good. But I had a had a really good uh, gaming weekend just recently.
1: Okay. It's always good when you get your own shipment of green stuff coming in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're, well, they supply me, so I should actually sign up to be a
1: I'm just picturing a cargo container coming off the ship full of green stuff
0: That's pretty much what it is, yes, absolutely Now, on Friday we went to the Nutterwaddy War Games Club and played some games You were there, weren't you, David? Uh, Yes, I was on
1: your brilliant Goblin Town board Trying to battle it out against these parlor dwarves that were hurtling across the table
0: Yeah, so we had a few people over there Just uh, two games going at the same time we had some points match, 650 points in preparation for Silmarilli on one side, and then the fun scenarios where it was the, the Goblin Town Escape.
1: Ah uh, yes. It's the one where the dwarves start with all their weapons in a pile next to the Goblin King and mayhem in shoes.
0: Yeah, did the dwarves get off?
1: Um dwarves made it off one time, Goblins stopped them the other. So oh, that's good. It's good, good to have balance it both scenario. Place.
0: Absolutely it is. Uh we played the points match games. First one was a oh, let me remember correctly. It was a Mordor Urukai, my Mordor Urukai army, all Mordor Urukai with Shelob against uh Huan's a mixture of elves and Alfred for some reason. And that was it was a close one. It was the the points mat points one where you have to count how many kills you do, and that's a victory point, and fate's a victory point. So not my favorite scenario. But the uh Urukai ended up winning twenty to fifteen. Mm-hmm. Pretty close to the end. Gilgalad's a tough elf. But uh Shilob really did some key hurls and threw down the lines and knocked out a bunch of Gladrum and things. Then we had a I was playing Matt with my uh, Grimhammer army using against his uh, orcs. So trying out those armies and we had to cancel that game halfway through. So that was a, a good fun game.
1: Timed out or?
0: Yeah, timed out. Matt has to catch trains, so he's at a bit of a is at the whim of the, the public transport system.
1: I think we'll be seeing more of Alfred these days because everyone was staring at the profile, but no one wanted to be that guy with the first use of Alfred. So now he's been used. He'll, 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 he'll have a phase.
0: He will. And I think people are going to be a little bit disappointed. I've used him in my Lake Town mm-hmm. Army and and keep getting hit for comp for doing it, which is a bit embarrassing. But he ends up stealing a lot of might and I don't like him. I'll drop him. Some of,
1: some of our listeners may have heard the uh, Fatty Bulger episode. For my cell army, I went, wouldn't it be hilarious if Fatty had might? So my comp score is now about three.
0: Oh, so you put Alfred and Fatty in the arm? Yes.
1: So Fatty's going to come wandering up with three might and go, I can actually roll a six now.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's <laughs> going to get three might. I think he's going to get given one, and then Alfred's going to take it right back.
1: But then somebody has might. Alfred can walk in with might. They're both unarmed. One of them's going to end up with might. It'll be hilarious. And
0: they're going to cop one arrow to the face with all that and three points of might. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but it's 25
1: points to wander around Who knows? It might do something.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so then we had on Saturday, I had once again Saturday night, some people over at my house this time for a scenario night. We had on one table, Matt and Hewen were playing some of the Hobbit scenarios to start with, the ones where you fight the three trolls and then the one where um, Radagast comes and is a diversion. Okay, Uh, how'd they go? The troll one is basically a warm-up for Thorin's company. It's very hard to win as the trolls. And we might balance that at some point. But the, the Thorns Company did it and maybe lost a couple of dwarves times. I wasn't really paying attention to that. And then the chase one, I think Radagast got taked out, taken out early, but I think the dwarves managed to get off. So that's a good good scenario. Okay, good hard-fought game. Yeah, I think so. Then on my table, I was playing some games with Nick. We started off with Scouring of the Shire, the Battle of Bywater, and that's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. It's a good place to start. And I was the ruffians, and it was all going wrong for me at the start. The hobbits were, like, every time I kill a hobbit, the reinforcement would bring him back on. So I was making no inroads. Sharky came on, and I finally started to kill some hobbits, and it was coming back. But archers kept coming on and taking shots at Sharky and taking wounds off him. Yep. Then uh, he lost his point of fate, so Mm -hmm. Worm turned on him and chased after him. But this was brilliant because Sharky was in combat with Worm and a couple of ruffians and I couldn't kill Worm. So I couldn't be shot at because the good side didn't want to hurt Worm. <laughs> so that kept me in it for a while. And I started to come back and then I made this archer wall with my six ruffian archers and just kept shooting at the hobbit heroes. Mm-hmm. And I got one off its pony and, and scared a few of them. But then eventually a, a hobbit archer took down Sharky and and it was game over for me. After I got about probably about half oh, half a dozen to a dozen hobbits, dead.
1: Uh, yes. How about reinforcements? One of the more powerful things in the game. They just...
0: Oh, absolutely! I love that scenario though. It's <laughs> so much fun, and it's it's different every time. Oh yeah. We use the right side of the board this time instead of the left. Oh, very nice. So, yep. what's that? Merry instead of Pippin, or? Uh it was at. I can't remember which one it was. It, <laughs> I think they all ran away into the the right. The yep. safety of the. the, the little barricades. bunker at the end. Yeah, the little bunker <laughs> turned into a siege. Then we played. Uh, The Barrow White scenario from the the Shadow and Flame book, which I know has been updated a few times, but I couldn't find my Fellowship book. So it was four Barrow Whites against the four Hobbit heroes and Tom Bombadil. And they have to call for Tom Bombadil when they spot a Barrow White. And on a six, you get that. Now, that pretty much happened instantly both times we played it. First time, the Barrow Whites managed to sacrifice Pippin. Second time, all four Hobbits got off. But it's just a wonderful scenario. I really like that one.
1: Mm -hmm. Fog on the Barrow Downs.
0: Fog on the Barrow Downs. That's the one. Thank you. Yes. Knew you'd be useful for something. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Brilliant. Then we had the Farmer Maggot scenario. Maggot's Farm, I think it's mm-hmm. called. Yes. And this is one where you get five ruffians and you have to get three of them off past the dogs and past Maggot. Mm. And surprisingly, ruffians won both times, which is I don't think is the the usual. I think it's Farmer Maggot's got a slight edge, but the ruffians got through mm-hmm. three ruffians each time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Managed to do some animal cruelty on the way, killed a dog or two, or three.
1: Those terrifying dogs as well.
0: Yeah, terrifying dogs. So you just keep running from them. Um, there was this one game where the dogs just couldn't pass a jump test at all. They could not <laughs> jump over the barrier. So it was, it's funny when you roll ones for jump tests. There was also the the Biowater game. Nick could not get, I think it was Mary, could not get him over a fence. He took like three turns before he got the more than the one to jump over a fence.
1: Well, Hobbits aren't known for their agility. So. Well, it was
0: on a pony. I think the pony was just scared he was going to get pricked. <laughs> Then Nick wanted to keep going, and he wanted a more fighty scenario. So he played Assault on Ravenhill. Now, this is the second time I've played this in about a week, actually, I think. I played it at the previous club meeting, and I really started to like this scenario with the changes we made, Mm -hmm. which we, I think, reported in an earlier podcast.
1: From Bywater to Ravenhill, two of the great battles of the age.
0: Absolutely. So this time, like, the last two times have been wins to evil, which is surprising. Because I think you said on the podcast we didn't expect it to be... A lot of evil wins.
1: Yeah. It seems to be weighted towards good, but it's close enough you can give it a good shot.
0: Yeah, the good just got pinned down behind a rock and couldn't mm-hmm. move away, and the wave after wave of orcs. And I did some fantastic heroic moves with uh, one of my Gundabad captains was up against Killy, and he only had one Gundabad orc with him, but Killy was trapped. Meanwhile, Bilbo and Legolas had trapped Azog. So I called a heroic combat with my Gundabad captain against Killy, managed to kill Killy. Always Run good. into Bilbo, pass my terror test, take Bilbo off the combat with Azog, and then Azog who had um, striked up, turned around, and took a couple wounds off Legless, survived pretty much what would ensure death, So because a trapped Azog is not good, mm-hmm. and then survived the whole game. Bolg managed to get five kills, so I got the Harbinger of Evil going, and oh, it was just wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm. With the
0: terrifying? and Yeah, so terrifying with Neg 1 across, which is... Makes a difference. And Azog's courage is amazing. He was passing courage tests and keeping heroes around and keeping orcs around. Mm-hmm. So Azog just became a, a mobile yeah. courage battery. Didn't manage to get the 10 kills? No, I couldn't get the 10 kills considering the game finishes with 9. Yeah. Uh, I think he, he got 5 in the end. Mm-hmm. I was doing some some moves where I was trying to, to shield or not kill the guy so Bol could come up and get it because it, uh-huh. it was a fun challenge.
1: You know you're in a winning position when you can you know delay the inevitable to
0: yeah yeah don't want to kill dualen <laughs> too early oh yes absolutely no i was in a really strong position so i killed all the the foot guys and then the eagles came and then azog and bog managed to pin down Gua here and and take her down
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that was good fun and then sunday we had a painting and modeling day here so i've been finishing off some of my dwarves for, for silmorelli uh they're probably mostly done and i've I was going to do some painting competition entries, but I'm just getting back into the painting a bit and building up the mojo. So we'll see how that goes later in the week. But I've been making a new board. So I'm hopefully I'll get a new board done for Silmarilli. I'm using the secret weapon miniature tiles that I got off a of Kickstarter. And at first I opened them up and was a little bit disappointed. But now that I've painted one up and did a test tile, I'm impressed. I think it's going to look great. So fingers crossed. I
1: think it's with any sort of basing. You can't tell what it's going to look like until you finished it. Like, you start with your model, and it's just like, ugh. Then once you finish it, it's just completely different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, we'll see how that goes. And now we're doing a recording. So, let's get into our questions. David, do you have the questions? I have here a list of top secret questions, which you may
1: or may not have seen before. I may or may not have. Let's answer them. Let's see how we go. Okay, our first question. Joshua C asks, was this a horrible mistake?
0: What does this refer to, do you
1: think? there a, well... Three possibilities that spring to mind. It could be the Green Dragon podcast, which the answer would be no. Mm, it could depending be. Depending on
0: how much time you spend editing it, I guess.
1: <laughs> it could be the Silmarilli um, painting competition or the tournament itself.
0: Tournament itself, yeah. It could be the tournament itself. I think so. I think Josh is a bit over his head as an organiser. He's got, what, 40 people? It, it, it's approaching record level territory. It's It can't be done. Yeah, I, I don't think he can pull it off. So, Josh, to answer your question, yes, all your ideas are terrible. Mm-hmm. You never should have come this way. Absolutely. Okay.
1: Uh, the next comment we have here, Mason exclaims, "Talk about dragons!"
0: That's not a question.
1: He hasn't actually used a question mark here. He's just too excited about dragons.
0: Should he talk about dragons?
1: Ah, uh, w- while we're here.
0: Okay, dragons. So Mason, I think, is going to run a dragon. So, Silmarillion really judging by his practice games, so what do you think we start with? What some advice for Mason? Ah. Uh.
1: Some advice one way, some advice the other. Keep Let's it give
0: some advice to Mason. So if you are not Mason, please stop listening right now and we'll give Mason some top secret advice about how to use his dragon well, I think. Firstly, Mason, I really, really hope you took Fly and worm tongue because at a 650-point tournament, he has to do everything. And the nice thing about the worm tongue is it gives him a bit of the, the ring rape roll as well. He can mm-hmm. do the magic support. Tough and hide's nice, but I think with piercing at the moment, it's not 100% necessary. Uh, I hope you've got fly. Mm-hmm. And the fire breath is okay. It's not too bad, but it takes up your will. And your will is really valuable for doing other things. So I hope you've got the the worm tongue for a start. Mm-hmm. That and the worm tongue
1: allows him to effectively attack two heroes at the same time. So he can throw magic at one while he uses his dragon-like stats to beat down on yeah, another.
0: Yeah, freeze, freeze one of them and attack the other. That's that's huge. And so you want to go after people's heroes. Make your dragon count. Try and kill heroes you've got to be careful about being bogged down because if they trap you, if they surround you and you can't kill everyone around there and you can't fly away, you're in a bit of trouble. So make sure you do lots of hit and run attacks. Protect the rest of your army, Mason. If that breaks and the dragon's taking courage tests, you're in a bit of trouble. And there's a lot of scenarios where the game ends randomly at half. So you don't want to lose the rest of your army. So you've got to be really conservative. It's a tricky army to play.
1: And since the dragon is a lot of points, he's going to have to be carrying a lot of weight. So... His, yeah. You've got to make him count So
0: you're basically going For the leader kill Banner kills And then run away Let the troops get split up Go mm-hmm. back in and doing that yeah. Now obviously th- That's for you Mason So hopefully everyone else Has picked up now And now we'll tell them How to beat the dragon
1: I believe the best way To beat the dragon Is to beat everything That the dragon has brought with it
0: Yeah go for go for the rest of the army Whatever he brings Attack that Put massive pressure on it Get to the break early It's for two reasons One it ends the game quicker Two, it means that the dragon's taking break tests. And I don't know if I said two or three reasons. Who cares? Another reason is that it means that you can get more of your force into the dragon. So mm-hmm. the dragon's not protected as much. So go for there. And as a fourth
1: reason, the dragon is still only one model. So... If the game ends, it only counts as one for an objective. Only counts as one. It can only hold one objective unless you put them really close together and you
0: sort of park between them or something. Yeah, you could take some really clever maneuvering to do that. But yeah, it's only one model. Some of domination. You've got to have enough models to hold the other objectives. One thing I like to do against dragons, the base is huge. So mm-hmm. it can't come and attack me and if it can't fit in the spots. So my army forms this sort of a a rough horseshoe skirmish around the dragon, and there's little models placed in the gaps where the dragon's base can't actually fit. So some of my armies is just so the dragon mm-hmm. can't get behind me. Because one thing the worst is you chase mm-hmm. down a dragon, you go to attack it, and it jumps over your lines and attacks your weak stuff. Mm-hmm. But if it can't fit there, it can't do that. Which is, again, you
1: have to watch out for the worm tongue. So perhaps leave two models there so it can't compel them both
0: Oh, right, it's it's basically a screen of models it's mm-hmm. it's a very rough skirmish screen to to stop it and you can just measure from the back of its base to see how far it can go over and it's mm-hmm. 12 inches so covering that area is not that hard especially if you go into a terrain heavy area
1: yeah, true depends on the board yes
0: but the dragon's tricky to use at this point. It can be very powerful. I've I have played at a similar point, actually, at, at a similar tournament, and I was doing really well. The army that I struggled with was an orc horde. Like it was the the, mm-hmm. the cheap orc heroes and just heaps of orc warriors, and I just couldn't get through them quick enough. They just overwhelmed me. My, the rest of my army died out and the dragon just couldn't fight its way through. Lost a few key combats and took some wounds and it was all over for me. But everything else was fine. Against medium or elite armies, I had no problems.
1: Oh, yeah. It, it picks a model, it kills it. It picks the next model, it kills it. But that takes time to get through a horde.
0: Absolutely. So that was good fun. Then what's the next question? The next question comes from Nick.
1: He asks, how do you win with Emor Knight, Erkenbrand, and Irwin, and all-mounted Rohan?
0: Yeah, I'm going to call him AME. I don't like Emor.
1: Hang on. Yeah, it could be. It's hard to tell from this distance. Um, Trying to read with a microphone in the way.
0: Fair enough. Basically, I think Nick's taking all-mounted Rohan army, so how do you win with it? You just play light cavalry tactics. Avoid, run, be like cavalry. You've got some good powerful heroes there. Erkenbrand's great support, but also can hold his own in combat. of Knight of the Palinaw, is a good attacky hero. Uh, Eowyn's got a good fight value for, for a bargain price. The biggest weakness they've got is their low fight value, so you're going to have to save your might, might for things like striking up. Watch out for monsters. Monsters can end your day really quickly. If they knock your heroes off their horse, you're in a bit of trouble. So to win, stay on your horses. If it means running away and not shooting, do it. If it means repositioning, do it. Stay moving and don't let people pin you down. Don't let people spread their whole army out and encircle you into a corner and not let you run away. That's death for Rohan.
1: The old tactic of one solid cavalry charge straight down the middle only works if the opponent has no idea what they're doing. So,
0: yeah, don't charge down the middle unless you've got a very small amount of guys there.
1: Okay, moving along to the next question. We have, from Henry, what role does power listing play in the community and how is it viewed?
0: Oh, I don't know about this conversation so much. Power listing. The nice thing about the Lord of the Rings games is most things are reasonably balanced. So, it mitigates it a little bit itself. Oftentimes, you get beginners and people who are new to the game thinking they're really clever that they found something that's bargain points and therefore they're going to win the game. But the game's played on the board and, and your list is probably 5 to 10% of it and the rest is what you do on the board. So anyone can beat anyone. Uh, so it doesn't play a huge role. In our community, we're lucky that most of the really good players tend to go for themed lists and and try and take something interesting. But there's not a lot of, I guess, frowned upon really. what What do you think?
1: I think. The problem with power listing is to actually get a proper my army list is superior, you have to know what the opponent's taking. So it doesn't actually work at a tournament because you could be facing anything. An elite army will struggle against a horde, a horde will struggle against something else. It just there, I can't think of an actual list where you would go this will be superior over anything it will face.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some inbuilt... Uh... Yeah, just the randomizing of what you're fighting, and and nothing can cover all bases. So, I don't think it's a huge deal. And like sometimes you get on forums and things, people asking what's a real powerful list, what's this, and most of the time, there's not really a good answer because most things will work. I think it comes down to more of a flavor of
1: the month. So terror was big, so then fury became necessary. Yeah, but then all the people terror armies used took to. ring race. Yeah. Yep. Then you take ring race, then they take something, and it sort of it wanders backwards and forwards. And-
0: yeah, but I think it moves really quickly at the moment with the the tournaments are doing. And most people just choose a list now that they like the look of and, and learn how to use it. And so power listing, I don't think it does a whole lot. It does disappoint me when you you see people playing with an army that just weren't alive at the time or and they're trying to get a small advantage. And I think the effect on me is that I'd go harder in the game against them. I'm I'm show no mercy, essentially. I don't know. I look at it the other way that... If you wanted to
1: make a theme, you don't take one that's already off the shelf. You've actually got to put in the effort and go, how on earth can I fit these blokes in?
0: What, like Alfred and Fatty?
1: Yeah, that's the one.
0: Yeah, if I ever come up against that list, I am going to smack it down.
1: Quite probably, yeah. Um. (laughs) Okay, so that's our conversation on power listing. Andrew asks, what's your experiences and thoughts when it comes to two cave drakes in one force? Question mark. Same points as one juiced up dragon? Seems like a good deal. Well, so,
0: comparing to the dragon, yeah, it is. is two of The drakes are good, and two drakes sounds really great. I guess it's what you can get out of the rest of your army because if it weakens the rest of your army, you're in a bit of trouble. But two, you could hold up about a 12-inch area just with the two drakes walling it off. So that's a massive road bump. It's hard work to get through them. Watch out for axe-heavy armies and high-fight armies because they could make a mess of you. But with the the doing wounds to people trapping you... I think it could be really powerful. Are they, they're they independent characters, aren't they, the drakes?
1: Uh, yes, they count as heroes these days. In the so, original rules, they weren't. But
0: So that's one of the disadvantages over the dragon. I think the dragon can lead troops, I think.
1: Is it in Moria? Or? It's in Moria. Get okay. the book
0: out. I'll, I'll talk to our listeners while you're doing that. Yes, yeah, so the two drakes, the nice thing about it is that with one drake, you can avoid it. You can get away from it. You can dodge away but with two drakes potentially it's going to be very hard to to do that it runs similar to the old very old mario goblin tactic where you'd always take two cave trolls and put them on your flank and that way people couldn't avoid them and they're basically playing the role of shepherds like they'll force your enemy to move to a certain spot and you can play the same role of the drakes
1: and there's an element of redundancy they kill one drake you send in the next drake
0: yeah if you have three there's an even more redundancy that's nice
1: Okay, so the cave drake is an independent hero, whereas the dragon can lead troops. Okay,
0: so numbers might be an issue with the double drake. So I'm thinking like 650, I don't know, I think it'll be a big risk. But once you get over that 800, I think you could pull it off, especially if you went with Moria.
1: But if you're Moria, your heroes don't cost that much.
0: Yeah, I think Moria is the way to do it. So I'd like to see how it goes. I think it's worth a try. Mm Mm-hmm. And they picked up a point of might these days. That's yeah, always useful. They're actually a hero now. They've only got the one point though, so they can still be taken down if they have to. But and they've got that rubbish power attack. But they're they're pretty good. They've got the normal power attacks now, and they've got a point of fate, I think. And still the the lots of wounds and good toughness and and strength. They're pretty solid, and they look amazing. I really do love that Drake model.
1: Ah, uh, yes, with the mini Drake on the base, and
0: yes, absolutely. I used it as a basis for my Kamul and Felby's conversion. So, converted as a flying Drake. Gave nice. it Belrog wings. And I really love that model as well. So, I, I, it's definitely one of my favorites. So, thumbs up if you want to do the Drake. Double Drake.
1: Okay. Moving along, we have a question from Harry. In the short amount of time that people have to dedicate to their hobby, in brackets, work, training, birthdays, etc., how do you go about conducting your hobby? Do you plan out what you'll be working on or do you just sort of randomly choose things? And how do you complete a themed army? Do you go with an individual model or do you batch paint a whole bunch at a single time? There is more to this question. However, it simply says it's a two-part question.
0: Yes. Oh, okay, so... I'm fortunate enough to have a dedicated hobby room at the moment. Now, I don't think I'm always going to have that. I think as my my son grows up and if I have some other kids, that might have to go. But at the moment, I'm very lucky to have that. So planning out projects, I've planned out about 20 or 30 projects in my head at the moment. About half of them are assembled or in various states of, of work. And sometimes they appear and come up and and disappear and, and go in circles. I finishing them is is tricky to do that. Uh, small amounts of time are good if you don't have to pack up and set up. So having my little area and minimizing setup and pack up time is really good. So I can walk into my painting room. If after this recording, I have half an hour, I can go do half an hour painting. And that might be a layer of black or something, but it's something. And then next time I don't have to do that. And it helps with the motivation. The second part was the, the batch painting, wasn't it? Or the single models when you're doing an army. It really depends how like job focused i am if i'm doing it for a tournament and i have a lot of models i might go to do the batch painting but i don't enjoy batch painting batch painting is not fun for me so if i'm doing i guess what i call fun painting just to relax and enjoy myself i'll paint one model at a time three three models is my favorite number three or four is really good because it gives you enough interest but you don't get sick of painting the same boot over and over and over again and you and you don't have to sit there waiting for things to dry and yeah, that's the biggest help. When I'm doing one model, I'll have my, uh, my hair dryer next to me as well. So if I'm doing a hero, I might just hit it with the dryer after each coat. Just blowing on the model as well sometimes helps.
1: Set to stun and, you know, fry it.
0: Yeah, frying it can be good for construction as well.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, it, for my response to that question, I believe we did a podcast some time ago about how you fit hobby time in. And my response was, you've got all these other commitments. It just fits in wherever it ends up fitting. There's no real plan whichever yeah. projects in front of me gets worked on.
0: The nice thing about the hobby is that you can pretty much do it whenever you it's a very it's got lots of options for solo. Yeah. So an evening off or whenever or when the family goes to bed or sometimes I get people who are just watching TV and they'll bring some some models and clip them out or cut them cut them or file them up and that that's good hobby time as well.
1: Mm-hmm. that's the second part of the question. I prefer batch painting because it takes me forever to start a project, so I'll spend 20 minutes staring at something. I'll, if I only paint one of them, then I've got to spend the next 20 minutes staring for my next model. So I put a bunch of them on the table. It just speeds up the process.
0: It takes out a lot of the thinking as well. Like Once you've chosen your color, to be able to open it up and do 10 models of that color is, mm-hmm. does help.
1: Okay, moving along in good order. Uh, we have a question from Sean. He asks, how to use named ring rates, specifically the betrayer? For new players
0: new to Magic in the strategy battle game, for new players new to Magic, this is a tricky one because for someone new to Magic, you've chosen essentially a, a Magic but combat rafe as well. He's the Betrayer's bonuses, if I recall correctly, are his own attacks get to re-roll uh, to wounds.
1: Uh, yes, he's got the Bane Banner King special rule. Then
0: so. anything that has poison, it becomes on a one or a two instead of a one.
1: Master of Poisons.
0: Yeah, which is a nice advantage, but that's a little 6-inch bubble, so that's good when you've got the Harajara Marches and things. But I think there's also a downside of the Betrayer, and that's his transfix powers on a 4+, plus instead of 3+. plus. So you lose one of your lower-to-cast spells. It means it compels pretty much always the option, because you can even if you're casting compel, it sounds more threatening, and you don't have to move the model, but it gets the other opponent thinking about what you're going to do to them. So sometimes I won't resist a transfix, because what are you gonna do you just stop the model but of compel that's mm-hmm. scary stuff so I think compel is his go-to spell there um, he's got yeah. the black dart he's got the drain mm-hmm. courage I think drain courage is a three plus for the
1: betrayer and sap will becomes five plus
0: oh so so
1: black dart and compel are the only ones that he casts at the generic value oh yeah has. no
0: sap Drain courage at a three plus is not particularly appealing. Sap will what is a five, five plus five plus so on sort of level. Yeah, you can still it's important against like a a shaman, but mm-hmm. yeah, you compel as your go-to spell there. I think
1: especially since a ring race, so you can't just keep chipping shots at it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now I would make sure you got a mount for this ringwraith because you want to maximise your combat potential. Because rerolling wounds is fantastic; mm-hmm. it puts you on a Hasharan or a Shelob sort of level. So all wounds, I would straight away put him on a fell beast and then, yeah, use it to to help with the the rerolls and basically kill anything you're in contact with. Unfortunately, combat and spells cost you your will, which is your lifeblood. So you mm-hmm. have to make it count.
1: I think that's the thing. With any Ringwraith, you've got to go, this will cost me three points of will to perform this action. Is the action worth three points of will? If the answer is no, then do not perform that action.
0: And work out how long the game's going to go. And I've got seven points of will left, but it's only going to be one turn left. Okay, I can throw some serious will this turn. So I can throw five will at a spell and fight a combat. That's okay. But if the game's going to last another 10 turns, no, be conservative and... It's tricky because it's a massive investment, the 100-plus-point ring rafts. I think this is an
1: interesting choice if you're new to magic because he trades a lot of his magical potential for combat potential.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so good luck with that, Sean. I think you'll do okay. It sounds like if you're taking the Betray, you're probably taking a Poison-heavy Harrod army. So that passive spell is pretty good. And when he's stuck on one will, you can essentially use him for that passive spell and for the Courage. So he's not too bad endgame, but... He wouldn't be my first choice for someone who wants to learn how to use magic.
1: Okay. The second question is a follow-on. How do you beat people using a named Ringwraith? Especially if you've challenged them to a get buff grudge match.
0: Oh, okay. This sounds interesting. I like to hear the backstory here. Uh, Basically, Ringwraiths only have one wound. So, they are incredibly susceptible to to lucky shots.
1: To pretty much anything with one wound.
0: Yeah. So, I would... Any shooting weapon you have, if you have a single bow, whatever, an orc bow, an elf bow, if you get a shot at a named ring wraith, take it. Take it. Take it. It probably won't do anything. You'll probably end up hitting the guy in front of him that's that's waving his arms wildly saying, I'll save you. But who cares?
1: Especially if it is on a foul beast. Yeah.
0: Any hero that has a bow or a throwing weapon, throw that at them as well. Cause pointing getting a point of might to knock a wound off or making them roll their fate and their use their might for fate rolls is yeah. it's nasty. He is a
1: named Wraith, so he does come with two fate as standard, but it's still only two fate. He can still fail it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's using up resources. And when he's only got one fate, you'd know more. And when he's on no fate, you can throw legless all his might at him or whatever. So shooting, if you get a chance to take a shot at a Ring Wraith, because that's, that's always good value. Oftentimes I'll hide to avoid that, but that's a massive investment hiding. So that's a little bit of a victory itself. Also, Compel is the betrayer's main ability. So, one good way to stop compel is to put models around the models as a bit of a bubble to stop them moving. So, oftentimes people compel like a banner or something important. So, I'll put two models behind the banner and you won't be able to get them both. Mm. So, your banner can't actually move away. So, there's some tricks you can do there.
1: The other thing is to remember, he is using will. Whatever the betrayer does is killing him. So, if you can limit the effectiveness of that, eventually he'll burn himself out trying to break you.
0: And if I was Nick, I think, who's taking the Rohan army, I'll take every single one of my Rohan Bowmans, every throwing weapon I had, and just point him at the Betrayer and see what happens. Because, like, if I was the Betrayer player, that's scary. I don't want that to happen. I don't want to lose my Wraith to that. So, I'll probably put him behind a wall and... See what happens. And you can't fight what you
1: can't see. So the is sitting there going, hmm, I wonder if there's anyone about. I yeah, I want to cast his spells. At. He
0: pops his head out and gets shot. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, we're on to page two, the home strike. The question comes from Jim. How to play dwarves and elves in the same list at 6.50, especially against a Moria horde army?
0: Dwarves and elves in the same list against the Moria horde army. Okay, so you've got elite troops there with decent defense, decent fight value, better than Moria. So your fight value is high, but you've actually paid extra to get fight value well above what you need. You only need fight three against Moria, really, mm. and you end up with fight five and fight four across the board. So your fight five can't afford to faint. Yep, you could faint. Um, I think the main thing to do is use your high fight. You need to make sure you're rolling equal or more attack dice. The more attack dice, the better. Because if it's if you're both throwing two dice at a combat, there's more chance that the person with higher fight will win. If you're both throwing three dice at a combat, more chance of the person with a higher fight winning.
1: Reference the Tariel episode.
0: Yes. So get your banner in there. Fight a small amount of combats a turn. Make sure you minimize how many you can lose a turn. So use terrain to to bottleneck yourself to force like the large goblin numbers against them. Because it, it is a lot you have to get through. Mm-hmm. You've probably got superior shooting. So it might be worth taking your shooting shots at their shooting model. So if they've got any prowlers or any goblin archers, trying to shoot them down there and get a superiority in the shoot phase. And then you could set up so your archers are essentially guarding your flanks and the, the goblin's slow movement is going against them so they can't get into to combat range. And generally try not to get yourself surrounded. Cause oh, no, don't get yourself surrounded. Because
1: they've got the numbers on you. They're going to want to use them.
0: Yep. So minimize the amount of goblins that are in combat with you. Make sure it's it's dense fights. So a model with a spear behind them with a banner behind that. Your captains with spears behind them and banners is great. And just fight a couple fights a turn if you can.
1: Yep. Check your terrain. If you've got a good dwarven ruin or whatever, send your dwarves into it.
0: Yeah, I would go for the most dense terrain. If there's forest, take it, take it, take it. Because you've, you've got, got some elves. elves. Mm.
1: Okay. The next question comes from Patrick. A bit of an open question, but any useful advice for a first-time
0: tournament goer, Jeremy? New tournament player. Okay, so basically, one don't expect to win the tournament first time you go into. This is a game that requires a lot of skill, and I know that people straight away look at it and think it doesn't, or think they've got the clever plan. But people who've been playing longer will probably be able to beat that. Get as many points as you can before the game. So make sure you've painted your models. Make sure you've read the player's pack and brought everything you need to bring to the tournament. Make sure you've got some sleep. Make sure you're ready to go. It's really draining to play a tournament. It takes a lot of thinking power. It takes a lot of time. You want to keep in good spirits the whole time. Expect to be beaten, but do your best to prevent it. So don't get upset when things go against you because it will happen. Learn from the game. Um, sometimes people offer you advice afterwards. Ask specific questions. Don't don't just say general advice. Say, what could I do better? Say, what threatened you or or at any time did you feel under the pump or did I do anything you thought was on the right track or or like ask specific questions and some loaded questions, mm. but just go out and have some fun. I think it's good. Mm. Get your army painted the best standard you can and, and have a look around the tournament and meet mm. people. I think it's important to remember
1: there's primary and the secondary objectives. Your primary objective is to win. If you can't do that, you fall back on the secondary, which is to have fun. Salvage what you can from the day.
0: Yeah, I think it might be the other way around. But yeah, okay, I agree. I don't know. Uh,
1: I just, I wrote them down. I forgot which order they were in.
0: Yeah, fair enough.
1: But you salvage what you can. Our next question is, is running Ents feasible at 600 points and some tactics that might help?
0: Okay. Uh, Yes, it is. If you're going to run Ents at 600, there's a couple ways you can do it. One, you can use it as support for essentially another army. So maybe a Wood Elf army with an Ent. And you use it as a as a bit of a screen and to scare them off from charging and maximizing your bows and throwing weapons and things. So a treebeard in your army, you're probably doing an avoidance army at that point. The other way that's been quite successful in our area is to take maybe treebeard and two other Ents and then have the rest as Wozes. So maybe Garnbury Garn and two warbands of Wozes. And the Wozes just avoid combat at all costs. And the Ents go in and, and just have fun with monsters. Monsters can do so much now.
1: Oh yeah, it's a lot of hitting power. It's a lot of shooting. It's got some reasonable avoidance. What's not to like?
0: Yeah, and you can also throw in maybe an eagle or two or maybe Guahir as the other leader and yeah. and really have some mess, have some ability to get over their back line. Yeah, just mix things up a little, get
1: some maneuverability Yeah, the Wonders in
0: and Wild list is actually quite good.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, question from Patrick. How do I win? I believe that was related to his earlier question about
0: first-time players. Uh, you don't. First time in a tournament, no, you're not going to. It'll be, it'll be amazing if you do, and good luck for it, but don't expect to. That's, that's beyond... I don't think anyone really wins their first tournament.
1: And a word of advice, strong positioning facilitates victory. There you go. A uh, question from Josh. I believe it's a different Josh from the earlier Josh, but anyway. Do you prefer to paint your models cartoony or realish? Really has some nice air commas around it.
0: Yeah, cartoony. Yeah. This is so subjective and what one person calls cartoony is what another person calls realistic. The bottom line is you can't paint a 28 mil model realistic. It doesn't doesn't work. And we don't have the skill to do that. Things like like our skin is is essentially transparent and you can see everything underneath it and you can't do that in a painting effect. So you can you can do things to make it look like it, but it doesn't work to go 100% realistic. Now cartoony I think is the level of exaggeration you do and you're going to do some level of exaggeration so I actually think my style is cartoony I go for, for bright colours even if they're neutral colours I make them a bit bright I go from extreme contrast so I'll go from black to almost white on a lot of surfaces which is cartoony but quite often my art models get called realistic so I don't know I, uh, it, it depends what your definition is but I don't think there's really a right answer here whatever you think looks good and yeah
1: you can also go the other interpretation of the question which is there was the movie done with actors and there was the movie done with cartoons. you can get the Boromir with the horned helmet.
0: Yeah, this must be it. Yeah. And the uh the
1: Saruman who looks like he's from, you know, some Arabian country with
0: you know, And all the goblin songs.
1: Ah, uh, yes, you got to have the singing York taskmasters. Yes.
0: Yeah, so you know. That's probably it. It's probably based on the uh the old 70s comic cartoon movies. Uh, Lord of the Rings
1: definitely worth a watch. But oh, I disagree with that. Either way. Either way. Okay, a question from Matt. Is my non-profit redundancy settlement in the mail? Uh, yeah, it's in the mail, Matt. Sure. I think the problem with this is to get a redundancy settlement, you have to be made redundant. It doesn't work if you're always redundant.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, sorry, Matt. You don't add anything to it.
1: Okay, a question from Jeremy. Tricks for painting those last-minute tournament models. Jeremy, any Is this ideas? from me?
0: This, this sounds like my kind of question. I don't think this is from me. I don't know. It's a mysterious Jeremy. Okay, another Jeremy. Uh, Last minute painting the models. If you're absolutely in a time, like time pour for it, I would consider doing the paint, the, the base surfaces as much as you can and then get the overall wash. So you get your mixture of, of either like Agrax Earthshade or your Null Oil or one of those, mix it with a bit of Lamian Medium and just hit the whole model with it. So it, it's essentially the old dip method and just, get them done out there, maybe pick out a few highlights here or there. Mm -hmm. Shields and faces, shields and faces, shields and faces. They're the ones that people see. You can get away with a lot on cloaks and boots and all that sort of stuff. So paint your models browns and neutral Mm colours, throw some on there and just just dip them, wash them.
1: And if you're staying up the night before, is your lack of sleep going to cost you more points in-game than you'd get from your painting?
0: Yeah, and now and you're going to enjoy yourself. Are you going to come out with an army that looks like rubbish? I've done this before, years and years and years ago, where I've painted the models, painted whatever, 40 models a night before, and I've had to repaint the whole lot of them because they were just rubbish. So at some point you might have to just say, no, I just need to either change my list and cop a penalty for it, use my painted stuff, or just go with very basic paint jobs and finish them up later.
1: Okay, one last question from Sue now. How do you roll more sixes?
0: Pass on this question, David. I've got no clue.
1: Okay. I have three main tactics for the rolling of more sixes. The first is you sort of throw your dice upwards and put a bit of flick into your wrist. It makes it roll further, does more damage to terrain, but it gives you about a better one in six chance of rolling up. Oh, that six. you were
0: teaching me about your method where you throw it repeatedly off the table and it powers itself up. <sighs> that's method three. That's like oh, okay, last
1: minute sort of end it you know, for the planet rolling. Yep. The second method is you roll more dice at once. If you roll six dice, you're more likely to roll a six than if you roll no dice.
0: I've that's done... that's very true. I like to think that the dice are trying not to be on six, but because they've got a bunch of friends that are like they're squished in there, sometimes they just have to be on a six, even if they don't want
1: to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you see, just one six is too top heavy. You need some more dice around it to help hold it up. Yes. <laughs> the third trick is the power up. It's it's sort of like you. you Your video game limit break. It's the first dice goes off the table. The second dice comes up cocked. The third dice goes off the table. The fourth rolls onto the train. The fifth dice has all this pressure on it. It either has to come up with a six or a one. So it turns your one in six to a 50-50.
0: Oh, that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember trying this and and it worked for me the first time. I threw it, threw it off the table, threw it, got the cocked. Then powdered. i up, got the six. I was amazed because I don't roll a lot of sixes. And then I tried it the next time. I went to throw it off the table and missed and got it on the table. And it turned up as a one. And that die mocked me. It said, you can't even throw a dice off the table. See, 50-50.
1: <laughs> it, it is a last minute desperate attempt. Use it too often and you start losing sportsmanship. And that's not what you want. Yeah, so you could delay a it, lot of games. It's, it's a, that, last, that last dice for the campaign. Yep. sort of. If you're trying to kill Alrond sort of thing.
0: Yep. So what what do you think, what do you rate these methods in and chances of increasing your sixes?
1: As I said, I rate the first one. You're about one in six. Second one. Yeah, one in six is pretty good, actually. I'll take that. Second one's at least three out of 18. Yeah, that's um, good. Oh,
0: yeah. I like that.
1: Last one. Oh, I'd say it's 50% chance of getting four or no, higher.
0: Yeah. Probably close to about 16%, I'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around about. Yeah. yeah, see my ones are way under that yeah. So take David's advice I throw so <laughs> way under I don't know why So we're out of questions We're out of questions and I think we're out of time Time to go do some painting or something else So thank you so much for listening Good luck with your preparation if you're going to Silmarilli. We'll see you there and yeah Get to take on some dwarves or hobbits perhaps
1: mm-hmm. We shall, see. We I shall mi- see I might not get them painted but
0: We shall see oh, Well, Take some <laughs> advice, listen to this podcast instead of painting them Quickly, play back the podcast <laughs> okay, let's go. See you, and remember traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.